Chapter 5, Cardiology. Topic 6, Hypertension. Today's episode centers around essential hypertension, a prevalent condition that is often referred to as the silent killer due to its asymptomatic nature and long-term complications if left untreated. Starting with risk factors, essential hypertension is more common among the elderly and is disproportionately higher in the African-American community. Lifestyle factors such as a Western diet rich in salt and fats, smoking, obesity, and alcohol consumption also contribute to the risk. Additionally, a family history of hypertension can increase one's predisposition to developing the condition. As for signs and symptoms, essential hypertension is usually asymptomatic unless it progresses to a hypertensive emergency, which involves severe hypertension coupled with end-organ damage. In terms of diagnostics, the diagnosis is generally made based on two separate blood pressure readings taken two weeks apart that are greater than 140-90 millimeters mercury. If there is a discrepancy between office readings and home blood pressure measurements, ambulatory blood pressure monitoring can be useful to rule out white coat hypertension where the stress of a medical setting artificially elevates blood pressure. Management of essential hypertension involves both lifestyle modifications and medical treatments. Lifestyle changes include weight loss, dietary modifications, and cessation of smoking and alcohol consumption. On the medical front, thiazide diuretics, calcium channel blockers, and ACE inhibitors or ARBs are commonly used. All three classes of medications are generally equivalent in the management of primary hypertension. However, thiazides and calcium channel blockers are preferred in African-American patients, while ACE inhibitors or ARBs are often recommended for those with diabetes or chronic kidney disease. Complications of essential hypertension are serious and can include hypertensive urgency and emergency. Hypertensive urgency refers to blood pressure levels exceeding 180-110 millimeters mercury without evidence of end-organ damage. In contrast, a hypertensive emergency involves the same elevated blood pressure levels, but with evidence of end-organ damage such as headache, visual disturbances, myocardial infarction, stroke, aortic dissection, pulmonary edema, transaminitis, and acute kidney injury. When dealing with hypertensive urgency or emergency, it's crucial to gradually lower the patient's blood pressure to avoid the risk of ischemic injury, such as myocardial infarction or stroke. The general recommendation is to aim for a 25% decrease in mean arterial pressure over the first 24 hours. Rapid correction can be harmful and should be avoided. Now let's delve into the pharmacologic options available for managing these conditions. The choice of antihypertensive medication should be tailored to the patient's comorbidities and potential side effect profile. Labetalol, a non-selective beta blocker and alpha-1 receptor blocker, it's a good option for patients with ischemic heart disease. Hydralazine, a direct arterial vasodilator, it's often used in pregnant women with preeclampsia, but should be used cautiously in patients with ischemic heart disease. Nicardipine and clavidipine, these are calcium channel blockers that work effectively in lowering blood pressure and can be used in various patient populations. Phenoldopam, a dopamine agonist that causes peripheral vasodilation, it can be particularly useful in patients with renal insufficiency as it may improve renal perfusion. Enalapril, an ACE inhibitor that can be beneficial for patients with congestive heart failure and chronic kidney disease. Nitroprusside, this agent increases the release of nitric oxide resulting in vasodilation. However, it requires close monitoring for potential cyanide toxicity, especially during prolonged infusions or in patients with renal insufficiency. As an aside regarding cyanide toxicity, 
cyanide toxicity presentation can vary. Clinically, patients may present with a range of symptoms. Respiratory distress is common and may be accompanied by flushing, resulting in a cherry red appearance of the skin and mucous membranes. Cardiac arrhythmias are also a frequent complication. A unique feature of cyanide toxicity is the smell of almonds on the breath, although not everyone can detect this odor. Neurological symptoms can range from altered mental status to seizures and even coma in severe cases. Elevated anion gap acidosis, specifically lactic acidosis, is often a prominent laboratory finding. This is due to cyanide's ability to inhibit cellular respiration, leading to anaerobic metabolism and lactic acid accumulation. Early diagnosis and treatment are crucial for survival. The mainstays of treatment for cyanide toxicity include sodium nitrite, sodium thiosulfate, and hydroxocobalamin. Sodium nitrite induces methemoglobinemia, which has a higher affinity for cyanide, thereby freeing up cytochrome oxidase for cellular respiration. Sodium thiosulfate helps to convert cyanide to thiocyanate, which is less toxic and more easily excreted. Hydroxocobalamin, a form of vitamin B12, can also bind to cyanide ions, forming cyanocobalamin, which is then excreted in the urine. Moving on to discuss the pharmacotherapy of hypertension. Given the variety of antihypertensive medications available, we'll attempt to provide a detailed discussion on each class, their mechanisms of action, side effects, and other uses. Let's start with theazides. These medications inhibit the sodium chloride channel in the distal convoluted tubule, leading to increased sodium and water excretion. The side effect profile includes hyperglycemia, hyperlipidemia, hyperuricemia, which can exacerbate gout, and various electrolyte imbalances like hypercalcemia, hyponatremia, hypokalemia, and hypomagnesemia. Additionally, these drugs can cause allergic reactions as they are sulfa-based and are associated with acute pancreatitis and allergic interstitial nephritis. This class of is also useful in treating patients with concurrent osteoporosis, recurrent nephrolithiasis due to hypercalciuria, and nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. Next up are calcium channel blockers such as amlodipine and nifedipine. These drugs inhibit calcium ions from entering the smooth muscle cells of arterioles, resulting in vasodilation. Side effects can include flushing, headache, and peripheral edema, although the risk of edema may be lower when combined with ACE inhibitors. Constipation and gingival hyperplasia are other side effects, and verapamil, in particular, can cause hyperprolactinemia and AV block. Beyond hypertension, these drugs are also used for stable angina, and the dihydropyridine variants like diltiazem and verapamil are useful for rate control in atrial fibrillation. Nimodipine can be used to prevent cerebral vasospasm following a subarachnoid hemorrhage. ACE inhibitors and ARBs are essential players in hypertension management. ACE inhibitors like enalapril inhibit the conversion of angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2, whereas ARBs like losartan block the effects of angiotensin 2 on the vasculature. Side effects include a dry cough, which is more common with ACE inhibitors and can be managed by switching to an ARB. This cough occurs due to increased bradykinin and bronchial irritation. Other side effects include hyperkalemia, angioedema, teratogenic effects, and renal insufficiency, especially if renal artery stenosis is present. These medications are also used in treating CHF, postmyocardial infarction, and diabetic nephropathy. Beta blockers such as metaprolol, carvedilol, and labetalol are AV nodal blockers that reduce heart rate and prolong diastole. Side effects include bradycardia, hypotension, sexual dysfunction, and sedation. Non-selective beta blockers can worsen asthma or COPD. They are useful in CHF, 
post-MI, stable angina, and aortic dissection. Other uses include migraine prophylaxis, atrial fibrillation, SVT, and glaucoma when used topically, such as timolol. Propranolol and natalol can be used for esophageal varicial prophylaxis by decreasing portal pressures. Propranolol is also used for thyroid storm, performance anxiety, and essential tremors. Hydralazine is an arterial vasodilator with potential side effects of reflex tachycardia and drug-induced lupus marked by antihistone antibodies. It's especially safe to use during pregnancy and can be combined with isosorbide dinitrate for heart failure treatment in African-American patients. Alpha blockers like doxazosin and prazosin block alpha receptors on the vasculature, leading to vasodilation. Side effects include orthostatic hypotension and priapism. They're often used for benign prostatic hyperplasia, and in the case of prazosin, for PTSD nightmares. Clonidine is an alpha-2 receptor agonist that decreases sympathetic outflow. Side effects include rebound hypertension upon abrupt discontinuation and CNS depression. It's also used in opiate withdrawal, ADHD, and Tourette syndrome. Lastly, minoxidil is an arterial vasodilator that opens potassium channels. A unique side effect is hypertrichosis, and it's also used topically for androgenic alopecia. Finally, for pregnant patients, medications considered safe include hydralazine, beta blockers, methyl dopa, and calcium channel blockers. As an aside, medications that cause drug-induced lupus include sulfasalazine, hydralazine, isoniazid, phenytoin, percanamide, and ednercept. In this last section, we will review secondary causes of hypertension. These should be considered in any patient with new-onset hypertension who is young, less than 35 years, or old, greater than 55, or with difficult-to-control hypertension. First on our list is renovascular hypertension, predominantly caused by reduced renal perfusion. In younger females, fibromuscular dysplasia is a common culprit, whereas in elderly males, atherosclerotic deposition in renal arteries leads to this condition. This results in renal artery stenosis and the activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Clinically, you may hear an abdominal brute or note recurrent flash pulmonary edema and atrophic kidney on imaging. Lab findings often reveal elevated renin and aldosterone levels, constituting secondary hyperaldosteronism. Additionally, be cautious when a patient experiences an elevated creatinine level of more than 30% after initiating ACE inhibitors or ARBs, as this could be a diagnostic clue. Imaging studies for confirmation include CT or MR angiography, duplex ultrasound, or renal arteriogram. The treatment approach varies based on the underlying cause. For fibromuscular dysplasia, antihypertensive medication and revascularization through percutaneous transluminal angioplasty are usually recommended. For atherosclerotic-based renovascular hypertension, medical management with antihypertensives and risk factor modification is often sufficient. Revascularization generally shows no benefit. Next, we discuss hyperthyroidism. Alongside symptoms like weight loss, heat intolerance, and anxiety, patients often experience hypertension. Diagnostic markers include low levels of TSH and elevated free T4. Hyperaldosteronism is another noteworthy cause. This condition may be due to a solitary adrenal adenoma or bilateral adrenal hyperplasia. Lab findings may include mild hypernatremia, hypokalemia, and metabolic alkalosis. The aldosterone-renin ratio is often greater than 20, especially after a high-salt diet. Surgical resection of the adenoma is the treatment for solitary adenomas, while bilateral hyperplasia is managed with aldosterone antagonists like spironolactone or eplerinone. 
moving on to hypercortisolism, also known as Cushing's syndrome or disease. Symptoms span from central obesity and weight gain to psychological disturbances like depression or psychosis. Due to its intrinsic mineralocorticoid activity, hypercortisolism can also cause hypokalemia and metabolic alkalosis. Diagnosis often involves 24-hour urine cortisol, late-night salivary cortisol, or a dexamethasone suppression test. The treatment usually involves surgical resection of the causative tumor or discontinuation of high-dose glucocorticoids. Next is pheochromocytoma, an adrenal medullary tumor that excessively secretes catecholamines. Patients often present with severe hypertension accompanied by palpitations, diaphoresis, and headaches. Alpha blockers like phenoxybenzamine or phentolamine are often used for blood pressure control. It's essential to avoid beta blockers due to the risk of severe, life-threatening hypertension from unopposed alpha activity. Corctation of the aorta is another etiology, characterized by elevated blood pressure in the upper extremities and reduced blood pressure in the lower extremities. Diagnosis often involves echocardiography, and treatment is usually through balloon angioplasty or stenting. In the context of pregnancy, preeclampsia and eclampsia present with severe, uncontrolled hypertension. Eclampsia additionally involves grand male seizures. Treatment often involves antihypertensive medications like hydrolazine and labetalol, and sometimes delivery is expedited. Lastly, pain or anxiety can cause acute episodes of elevated blood pressure due to the release of stress hormones like cortisone and catecholamines. Management involves treating the underlying condition causing pain or anxiety.